Good morning and welcome to chapel worship. Welcome to those who are with us in the space of Martin Chapel, to those who gather online. We are one body in Christ Jesus. And so together we open with this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This chapel's focus is on martyrdom in the Christian faith. We understand that that might be a sensitive subject for some listeners, so please take care of yourselves as you participate in chapel today.
Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 5, 43 to 47. Read first. Jesus taught his disciples, saying, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? From John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's, it's my privilege this morning to introduce our speaker, Steve Pardini. Steve graduated from the seminary this past spring with a Master of Divinity, but before that he had a first career where he used his uh, PhD in nuclear chemistry. Uh, don't ask me to go any further than that, <laughs> except to say that Steve has continued throughout his experience here to intersect and engage as a scientist with biblical and theological questions. Steve is a lay leader and a teacher at Harrisonburg Mennonite Church and in Virginia Mennonite Conference. And while here at the seminary, he was a regular participant in all forms of community life, including uh, SCC, meals when we could have them, chapel, and many hallway interactions. I call Steve a energetic presence of thoughtfulness, engagement, and welcome. Steve's also married to Deb, who many of you know, who sits in our front office and helps us all keep things straight. So Steve, we're welcome, and God bless you as you speak to us. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Heisey. Welcome to everyone here today. Who is Dirk? This is a etching made by an artist named Jan Lucan, and it was published in the um, 1685 edition of Martyr's Mirror. Now I remember the first time that I saw this image. It was hanging on the wall in the office of the Mennonite church that I began relating to while I was in graduate school. And I was raised Catholic, and so up until that point in my life, I had never seen this image before. So I remember asking the pastor, who is that? He had a big smile on his face. He said, that is Dirk Willems. 
and he proceeded to tell me the story that is depicted in that picture. So at that point I decided if I'm going to become involved with the Mennonites, I need to learn a little bit more about their history. And it occurred to me today that not everyone here has heard of Dirk Willems. Some of us may not have grown up Mennonite. Others could be new to the EMU campus, and this may be the first time you're seeing this picture. So I decided to do a Google search, and I entered famous people with the first name Dirk. <laughs> All right. And here's the first person that came up, Dirk Nowitzki. He is a basketball player. He was born in Germany, and he's retired. And he played for the Dallas Mavericks. And in 2011, he led the Dallas Mavericks to the NBA championship. And he was voted MVP of the series. Now, this did not surprise me because I'm a big basketball fan. But as I went down through the list of names, I'll be honest with you, I didn't recognize any of the other so-called famous people who are named Dirk until I got to number 17 on the list, Dirk Willems. Here is what this website had to say about uh, who Dirk Willems was. He was a Dutch Anabaptist who was martyred for his faith on May 16, 1569. And it goes on to say that he was most famous for escaping from prison and turning back to rescue his pursuer. And that's the image you see here. His pursuer had fallen through thin ice while chasing him. Dirk was then captured, tried, and burned at the stake. Now, it should be noted that his pursuer, who was called a thief catcher, wanted to let Dirk go. But the mayor, who I presume is one of the people maybe depicted here in the background, reminded the thief catcher of his oath, which implied if he doesn't bring Dirk in, he will be held accountable for violating his oath. So, Dirk was tried by a panel of seven judges who showed no mercy on him. They confiscated all of Dirk's property and they ordered that he be burned at the stake. Dirk's story can be found in The Martyr's Mirror. This record gives us some additional information about his execution. On the day that he was burned at the stake, a strong wind was blowing and it blew the flames away from his upper body. And it's reported that he cried out, O oh Lord, my God, some 70 times. The wind carried the sound of his voice to the next town where people could hear his cries. What crime did Dirk commit that demanded such a sentence? He held that a person should be baptized only upon confession of faith nullifying the validity of infant baptism. His beliefs and practices about baptism 
and faith in Christ were viewed as a threat to both the church and the state. I stand before you today an Anabaptist. I was baptized as an infant. And while I attended graduate school, I made a profession of faith and I was rebaptized as I entered the Mennonite church. Now, Dr. Heisey brought up the fact that I'm a nuclear chemist. I entered graduate school as a Catholic nuclear chemist predestined to work on hydrogen bombs. When I came out, I was a non-resistant Anabaptist Mennonite working on textile fibers. The name ranking website lists Dirk Willems as a pacifist. Now, I wonder if the word pacifist is appropriate for this context. I, per, I would prefer to use the word nonviolent activist. He resisted the church's false doctrine and corrupt practices that led to unjust oppression of the people in the church. And against church law, he chose believers' baptism. He held secret Anabaptist meetings in his homes which were banned by the church. And he testified about his beliefs and led others to receive adult baptism. Dirk Willems spoke out against corruption at significant personal risk. His activism led to his condemnation. Now, it should be noted that in the 1500s, it's reported that about 4,000 Anabaptists were martyred for their faith. Dirk's witness tells us that love calls one to speak the truth to the powerful and the corrupt at great personal risk that love calls us to act in Christ-like ways towards others, even our enemies, at great personal risk. Christ-like love does not condone abuse. It does not practice violence. It does not justify the use of violence. And it stands against injustice and oppression. And Christ-like love affirms the dignity in all humanity. Christ-like love is persistent and unrelenting to the very end. Christ-like love never gives up. Who would have expected that this iconic... <laughs> I was waiting to see her reaction when this came out. She did not know this. Who, who would have expected that the iconic image of the Anabaptist Dirk Willems rescuing his Catholic pursuer would become part of an exchange between the president of Mennonite World Conference, Dr. Heisey, and Pope Benedict XVI. Delegates from Mennonite World Conference were invited to the Vatican in 2007 to participate in the Pope's Council on Christian Unity. According to EMU News, this five-day meeting between the Mennonite delegates and the Catholic Church leaders was a time of welcoming, ecumenical sharing, promoting Christian unity, and seeking together to find ways to practice Christ's call to peacemaking. Dr. Heisey stated, Dirk's story reflects an important commitment we share as Christians, that of love of enemy. 
Many see Dirk Willems as the icon of the Anabaptist Radical Reformation. And much has been done to remember Dirk Willems' witness and act of love. He's included in the Martyr's Mirror. Scholarly articles, books, and inspiration magazine articles have been published about him. And historical drama has been written about his witness. A street was named after him in his hometown in Holland. A sculpture and peace garden has been opened in his memory in Steinbach, Manitoba. His picture hangs on church offices and schools throughout the Mennonite buildings in this country. His story is told in Mennonite children's Sunday school classes, and his icon has been given as a gift to the Pope. Dirk Willem's body may have been burned at the stake, but his witness lives on. According to Junka, Dirk's faith convictions were so precious, they transcended physical life itself. Clearly, the Dirk Willem story is an integral part of the Mennonite heritage of activism and nonviolent peacemaking. This story holds an essential place for Anabaptists in countries where the church is persecuted today. But what relevance does this story hold for Mennonites who have become tolerated and affluent? How do we carry Dirk's witness in this modern-day context? Have we turned the memory of Dirk Willems into a mythological resource to inform our North American identity, our Mennonite identity? Have we used this mythology to internalize Mennonite exceptionalism? Has Mennonite exceptionalism blinded us to the reality that Mennonites have assimilated the dominant white culture in North America? How have we missed our unexamined biases, false assumptions, irrational beliefs that blind us to the privileged social status that we enjoy? How have we failed to acknowledge that we have participated in systemic injustice? How do we remain unaware that we have benefited from oppressive policies of white supremacy? As Goosen wrote in the Mennonite magazine, are North American Mennonites a persecuted minority or a people with immense unearned social privilege? Perhaps these questions are better answered by our seminary scholars. So I got into this whole idea of a contemplation of Dirk Willems when I read an article written by Wendell Berry in which he was examining Jesus' call to love. In this article, Wendell Berry referenced Dirk Willems. Berry asked a number of questions about our willingness to follow the command to love. Would we, in a similar circumstance, turn back to offer the charity of Christ to an enemy? If we're honest, I don't think we can answer this question. We humans have been repeatedly surprised by what we will do or won't do under pressure. I agree with Barry's statement. We don't know how to answer this question because we don't know how we respond under pressure in those situations. But I also wondered how many of us are ever going to be in a situation that Dirk Willems found himself. Likely not many. I sensed it was time to move from the head to the heart. 
You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And don't even the pagans do that? God's grace seems to be indiscriminate, available to all. It reminds me of God's forgiveness, which is not dependent upon our goodness, but upon God's love, which is for all of us. Jesus seems to be saying that love is not predicated upon the worthiness of the receiver. Love is not contingent upon the response of the receiver. Love is dependent upon the generosity of the giver. It seems that Dirk understood this teaching. When Jesus was betrayed and seized in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter stepped forward and he drew his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Jesus commands his disciples to reject the use of violence. Violence produces retribution. Turning to violence brings fear into our relationships. Jesus is teaching us to suffer the cost of love, to break the cycle of vengeance, to conquer our fears, and to engage in reconciliation. The priority that Jesus is setting for us is to establish a shared dignity for all humans. It seems to me that Dirk put this belief into practice. Jesus' teaching on love comes from his interpretation of the Torah. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I imagined in my mind this expert in the law standing up and kind of looking to the crowd with his hands out with a smug look and then saying to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because this expert in the law probably felt he knew the law better than Jesus. And he thought, maybe by asking this question, I can trip him up. Jesus responds to this question with a parable of the Good Samaritan. In this parable, Jesus does not define who our neighbor is. Jesus teaches us how to love. It is clear that this expert in the law knows the law in his mind, but he does not know how to love in his heart. Jesus is saying to us, love at all costs. Love those we don't even know. Richard Rohr is saying to us, 
You cannot love by being dualistic. Love involves our whole being. Jesus would say, Amen. Love connects us to God, to others, and to ourselves. And within ourselves, love connects our minds to our hearts, our bodies to our souls, our beliefs to our actions, and what we say to what we believe. Jesus also says that love connects us to our enemies. We do violence to each other, not just physically, but verbally, psychologically, and emotionally. And Jesus' teaching brings into focus the struggles that we encounter in our relationships. How do we respond to someone who has hurt our feelings, broken our trust, made us angry, frustrated us? What does Jesus' teaching tell us about how we relate to others that we live and work with every day? Jesus' relationship with Judas shows us that love connects us to those we are closest to. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He was part of that inner circle of followers that Jesus called friends, that Jesus cared for and loved. Judas walked alongside Jesus, worked with the disciples, carried out the ministry of Jesus. Judas was dishonest and a thief. When Mary anointed Jesus with really expensive perfume, Judas objected, chastising her, saying that perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But John's Gospel says Judas didn't say that because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas was greedy and disloyal. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that Judas, on his own accord, went to the chief priests who were plotting to kill Jesus and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they, can, so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Jesus' response? He loved Judas to the very end. He washed Judas' feet. He gave Judas communion. Judas, Jesus called Judas' friend at the time of his betrayal in the garden. How deep of a wound is betrayal? Is it possible to forgive such a transgression? Could you call someone friend who betrayed you? Can trust ever be restored? Can the relationship be repaired? When Jesus predicts his betrayal by Judas, John's Gospel reports that he was troubled in spirit. Now Jesus knows who he is. Jesus has knowingly and willingly accepted his mission on earth. Jesus' affection are for his disciples, those who are closest to him. He is feeling great distress. One of his own disciples is about to betray him, and he worries about the others. As Judas leaves to set the betrayal and capture of Jesus in motion, 
Jesus says to his disciples, he calls them little children and he tells them, I will only be with you for a little while longer. Jesus knows the crucifixion is drawing near. He knows that the disciples will experience fear, anxiety, trauma, uncertainty as they watch Jesus being arrested, condemned, crucified, and dying. Jesus sets before his disciples the way to come through these troubles. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The strength to endure life's difficulties and challenges comes through love for one another. And it's not the kind of love that tax collectors or pagans give. It's a higher standard of love. It's the love that Jesus gives. This is the love we receive from Jesus, and this is the love we give to others. This means that we love those who hurt our feelings, love our enemies, those who betray us, and so forth. It seems that Jesus is calling us to move to empathy and compassion for all those that we are relating to. Following Jesus is not a political and it's not a religious decision. It is a decision of the heart, the mind, the body, and the soul that has profound personal implications and inevitable social consequences. Do we hear the call of the kingdom? How are we going to reflect Christ-like love in society and in our relationships? More than anything else, Dirk's story teaches us about the virtue of Christ-like love, Christ-like love is, no, is rooted in knowing who God made us to be and the purpose for our lives. And living into the purpose of our lives calls us to follow Jesus' command to love. This is what brings meaning to our lives. I believe Dirk heard Jesus' words. That fateful moment when he turned, seeing the humanity in his pursuer, he reached out to save him. Dirk loved the thief catcher, as much as Jesus loved him. Following Christ's call to love gave meaning to Dirk's life. The fruit of this virtue is the witness of the peaceable kingdom to a violent and divided world. And finally, I'll leave you with this. Are we willing to take the risk and make the sacrifice to do what love requires? Can we see through the blindness of our unearned privilege and walk beside those and struggle with those who are oppressed as the work to bring an end to injustice is carried on? Can we reach out to our enemies with empathy and compassion in their time of need? And can we enter into reconciling relationship with those closest to us, those that we live and work with every day? Are we willing to overcome our own woundedness, to examine our assumptions that feed our conditioning, become aware of our false beliefs that we have about ourselves, and correct the biases that we hold for others, and move from alienating to reconciling relationships? Are we willing to take the risk, make the sacrifice, and do what love requires, and become a witness of the peaceable kingdom to a violent, hurting, lost, and divided world.
Amen. As we come to pray together, we will pause for silent confession. Know that God holds us in deep grace even while nudging us towards peace-filled living. Let us pray. God, through the person of Jesus Christ, you taught us to love our enemies. We acknowledge that it's difficult to love our enemies and the people who wrong us without cause. Yet we confess our sin and pray for your way to rule in our lives. Hear now the confessions of our hearts. Be honored in our midst, we pray. Help us to know all people are our siblings. And when we allow hate to enter our journey, we are hating those who are our family, for we are one. Allow us to overcome hate with your love. Keep us walking in step with your Holy Spirit as you grow your fruit in us, beginning with the fruit of love. Touch us and our world today as we seek peace within ourselves, within our communities, and in our nations and our world. Help us to be the salt and light of Jesus in a world that desperately needs your peace. And allow your peace to reign over us, and let it begin with me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Friends, Christ has given us peace, given us the energy that the music brings, given us laughter and grace. Let us go and share all of these gifts with the world. Go in peace. Amen.